Best is a board-certified music therapist based in Rochester, New York. Kim has clinical experience providing music therapy with adults with dementia, children with autism, and various intellectual and developmental disabilities, adults with mental health challenges, adults with cancer, and those at the end of life for the last 10 years. She is the founder of Kim Best Music Therapy, the co-host of Seasons of Resilience podcast, and the host of Not Your Average Music Therapist podcast. Sarah Bell is a board-certified music therapist based in Bridgetown, Nova Scotia. Sarah has clinical experience working in psychiatric care and community mental health programs serving adults and young adults with anxiety and depression, children and young adults with neurodiversity, university students with anxiety and depression, amateur musicians with burnout, trauma-informed support groups for women, newcomer refugee communities, indigenous communities, and transient communities. Sarah is the founder of Bell Counseling Services with a passion for supervising and EDI work. In this episode, we have an open and honest conversation about our work as music therapists, the ebbs, the flows, the ups, the downs, the lessons learned, and what we wish we knew sooner. We thoroughly enjoyed this chat with Sarah and Kim so much that more honest conversations like this are coming soon. For now, we hope you enjoy this first Real Talk. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Able Voice podcast with Kim and Haley. Hello. Today, we are excited to be joined by Kim Best and Sarah Bell to um, tell us all about their experiences in the field and uh, maybe to dig into some hard truths of the field. Uh, So welcome, Kim and Sarah. So excited to have you. Hi. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. So Haley and I are very intrigued to hear about your journeys and um, to dig into this conversation just candidly about the field of music therapy, the ups and downs and, uh, you know, everything that comes with each unique experience. Um, But before we dig too deeply there, we love starting the podcast by getting to hear a little bit of each of our guests' stories. So um, perhaps I'll I'll put you on the spot, Kim, because you're on my screen on the left here. So we can start with you. And um, if you don't mind sharing a little bit about your journey to becoming a practicing music therapist. Okay. So once upon a time, there was this young girl who was a musician. No, um, I feel like a lot of our uh, stories start the same. We were very musical growing up or we were really into music, you know, and then we somehow stumbled upon this, this profession of music therapy. And it was like stars aligned, everything came together. And it was like, that's it. That's what I want to do with my life. So for me, I I first started, you know, in high school as a very musical kid. Um, I was in all the ensembles, band and choir and the musicals and whatnot. Um, But I was really interested in speech therapy. And then I went to some open houses and visited some colleges and I realized, okay, this is like a a tidbit too much science for me and I don't want to give up music. So stumbled upon music therapy and it was like the perfect fit. And it's really cool because my first uh, practicum placement in college was a speech and music co-treat. And it was like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. I grew up in in New Jersey in the USA and um, then went up to Rochester, New York for school, uh, Nazareth College. Went through the program um, and then my internship was at MJHS, uh, Metropolitan Jewish Health System in New York City. Um, And I was in the Bronx 
working with folks with all different backgrounds. So that was my internship experience. And then my first job was with a school of music. It was a contract-based job. Then I worked in hospice a little bit. Then we moved back to Rochester. My husband and I had a couple of jobs with a couple of challenges that I'll share later. And then I couldn't find like the job that I wanted with, you know, my skill set and what I wanted to do as a music therapist. So I had like, it felt like I didn't have any other choice, but to start my own practice. Um, I never wanted to have my own business, but it just seemed like the only way I could reach my goals. And so here I am, I think it's been just about four years in private practice. I have a lot of different contracts and I'm working on developing a lot of things um, in my city. And then also I've got the second half of my business, which is my own podcast and um, some products and some resources for music therapists. And then the third arm (laughs) of me, because as a music therapist, you have to do more than just your job, right? I think we're all like that. I'm also working with a group of music therapists in New York State to develop the New York State Association for Music Therapy. So we we have all been through our um, own individual and collective challenges. And so we want to create this association to provide more support. It's great to hear that you and some other therapists are taking that action step to create that association. I can imagine that is a big feat. (laughs) It really is. And most of us have like no experience with um, nonprofits or being part of associations. I've never been um, like a board member or had any sort of executive position or anything, but I'm like, I see a need and I want to see if, if we can do something about it. We're, we're making a lot of progress though. We're, um, we're incorporated and, or we've, we've, um, submitted our articles of incorporation and starting our website. So yeah, things are open. That's wicked. Yeah. Articles (laughs) of incorporation. The wheels are turning. Woo. I know (laughs) all those big, scary things that you don't know how to do. Part of the entrepreneurial world of just figuring it out as we go along. Hey, exactly. Over to you, Sarah. Tell us about your journey. Kim's yours was so succinct think yeah the, we share a lot of similarities in that uh I also grew up uh, playing instruments from a young age I I loved playing piano I live with my mom and my sisters right now and we have our old piano so I I love that it's back it's back with me yeah so played played a lot of instruments um when I was in uh, high school and stuff I I uh, played oboe and I played in bands um and like uh was the keys player in a jazz band, uh, jazz like choir. That was pretty fun. And like the first foray into reading chords, which was pretty different than my, you know, classical sort of upbringing. Um, and I, I think I heard about music therapy um, around the time of applying to uni. Um, and at that time, one of the programs was the Acadia program that I think Bailey, you went to? Yes. Um, but it it wasn't really in the cards for me um, to explore that right away. So I ended up t- um, going to Western University in London, Ontario, and did a degree in music education. And while I was doing it, I was like knowing that I didn't want to do music education. Uh, and I think p- part of that is because like a lot of music teachers, I, I think, don't play anymore. So that was a real letdown for me. So um, in my like fourth year, I sort of put all my eggs in one basket, looked at the requirements for Concordia and was like, okay, going to do this. Um, only applied there, obviously did the interview and all that. And then uh, I did the grad certificate and then I did my master's. So delved a bit more into like the music therapy research side, which I'm still pretty interested in. And I feel like I have my hands in like pockets around music therapy research, like equity, inclusion, those sorts of things. And um, it was in May of last year um, that I started my own private practice, which is like very slow, but also very nice. I have like one uh, client a week. In November of last year, I started a full-time position um, working in trauma and addictions. And so my music therapy 
career is still evolving um because while i'm there and i'm working as a counselor um as a like counseling candidate but i'm also still doing music therapy which is amazing so i'm doing like group music therapy um so a lot of like song lyric analysis um and there's just like it's not the right word but there's like a ripeness around music like it's so um addiction and music go so well together like any song you can see recovery in and um I'm really enjoying that work and and I mainly work with first responders something I never expected um so working yeah with like military uh police RCMP firefighters it's very different and ever evolving i i love the roundness of both of your stories of like bringing us to where you are today i think when a lot of people answer the question they're like this is how i got into the field but i love hearing more of like and dot 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 we're still going Um, which is, I think, also important for us to to remember that, you know, there's a story of how we got there, but it's also ever evolving. And, you know, it doesn't doesn't stop here. It's going to continue. And you're both doing great things, very exciting things. I love what you said, Sarah, about still being able to play our instruments as therapists. I was having this conversation with somebody the other day well, actually, I was kind of sad about it because they are asking me, oh, do you still play your saxophone? And I was like, uh, well, I can't remember the last time I've actually picked it up, which is very sad um, because I used to love like you playing in jazz band and jazz band and just like having a combo little improv sesh is just one of my favorite things to do. And I haven't had the chance to do that. And I reminded myself of that on a recent trip that I made uh, to a jazz club and just got to watch live music and just enjoy it for myself. And something that we have been talking through this season um, with our guests is just how we also need to remember the connection that we have to music and how it's important for our self-care. So I wonder, this might take a little bit of thought because it does for me when somebody puts me on the spot for a question like this, as I'm sure it does sometimes when we ask our clients like or um, therapy participants what their favorite music is or what favorite songs uh, they had throughout their life. But is there a song that's on your playlist right now that is important for you in this moment? Have you heard uh, Rihanna's new song, Lift Me Up? Oh, my goodness i i didn't think it would impact me the way it did and i think it's something that's still um stirring inside of me and and speaking to me but it was like the first song in a really long while that i literally just wanted to put on repeat and just listen to it over and over and over, like it was doing something to me. You know, I'm still processing that. So I really can't tell you exactly why, or, I mean, you can listen to the lyrics and the music and kind of guess for yourself what it can be doing, but um, it it's definitely um, hit a deep place within me. And yeah, that's the first song that came to my mind because it's been so impactful and I'm still trying to figure out why and what it's speaking to me. So two songs come to mind. Um, I've been like playing and singing Go the Distance, like from Hercules. Anyway, so I've been playing that. Um, And also um, I've been listening to a song called Vibe. Um, It's K-pop. It's uh, with Jimin and um, Young, I think it is. So it's a rapper. Um, uh, It's it's in Korean, but it's rap and like singing. and it's just fun to listen to. And I think um, to counteract some of the heaviness of uh, of the work and um, in some ways carrying uh, other people, um, I really like to listen to, to K-pop during the day to, uh, I don't know, I think it's like a boundary. It's like boundaries with music, you know? I love that. Because... Um, during my day to counteract the music therapy work, I listen to a lot of silence. 
<laughs> so I love how it's like this contrasting yes. thing for you. Mm. Um, and I feel that too. I echo that immensely. And I think, um, I think we all have to have that, that contrast piece, right? Like we just have so much music on the go all the time with our participants and whether it's a completely different kind of music or whether it's silence or for me, I find it changes if I'm at a facility for a full day or something. And I just, I get in my car and sometimes it's that quiet drive home or a podcast, or I'm, I'm really digging the instrumental jazz recently, like the coffee shop jazz. The vibe. Survive. You want to just <laughs> put your shades on no matter like that you leave work and it's dark already and just, <laughs> <laughs> just vibe, just vibe that. Yeah. No, I love that. I also listen to a lot of silence because <laughs> I've been recently having a lot of sessions that have a lot of energy output and it's overstimulating for me session after session so the silence helps to counteract that um ongoing sound wall that is always around me um but it's interesting to hear I've heard that song him on repeat um and recently after Rihanna's Super Bowl performance too yeah. <laughs> just I think <laughs> Her music has been playing on the radio nonstop. <laughs> oh my goodness. But let's talk about the work. It's interesting that you bring that up, you know? Uh, I wonder if there's a thing that you love most about the mu- music therapy profession or about your music therapy practice. I can jump in. I, I was thinking about this today, but I love the spontaneity of it. Like... I was in a group uh, music therapy session the other day and I had some, you know, we all sort of have like a plan base plan for the session. And then the person and then the like client will be like, I want to do a song just like, um, or let's do a blues song or let's do. And like the sort of excitement that comes from it. Um, so I love the sponta- spontaneity of that. And also I guess having the tools to be able to go with that um, and feeling somewhat confident to be able to like follow them. Um, So I, I really like that and and sort of seeing playfulness in adults, you know, um, I think there's something really beautiful in that. Um, And then what else do I love about the work? Um, I love, I really love um, lyric analysis and, um, working in a group of people and seeing how different um, lyrics resonate with people and seeing how um, it brings out something different in each person. And I think that speaks to the uniqueness of us all that I think sometimes we forget. Um, And I think um, I love how my expectations just sort of go out the window, you know, and it's like, okay, we're doing this. Um, and I love, there's so many things and I love being <laughs> creative, you know, like, um, using the brain that I've been given, um, to, to help people. And, um, I'll share this cause, uh, Dive has been on the, Dive has been on the, the, uh, podcast before, but when I first, um, found out I got this job in trauma and addiction, she was like, Sarah, you're going to bring so much healing there. And I, um. I was so moved by that and that stuck with me and I, I feel like that's coming true and that's happening. So yeah, it's good to be part of healing work for people. I feel like I'm just bouncing off of the things that you have already said, Sarah, but I love how every session is so different. Just that variety of the work we're never bored. You know, there's always something new happening, something going on, a new response. And that's the other thing, like the responses to music and to music therapy. It's just like, that's at least for me, that's why I do the work. Um, because it works. And because, you know, you start in this one, in this session with someone who is not verbally communicating anything. And then by the end of the session, they're asking you questions. Like it's so, it's just so magical. Um, 
and and so beautiful. So yeah, for me, for me, it's the variety, um, not only in each session and what we see, but um, the people that we work with, how everyone's unique and everyone has a story. And um, I also love working not only with um, the client or the person themselves, but then their like support system and their family. So some of the work I've done recently has been solely with caregivers and it's such a cool thing um, because it's like, you know, that the care that you are giving to this person is not just for them, but it's for the next person and the next person and the next person. It's like the pay it forward of healing, (laughs) Mm -hmm. the continuous cycle there. Yeah. I resonate so deeply with what both of you has shared. And I love that there's that, you know, that link of, um, it's almost like just being there to witness sounds like it's, yeah, like the unique, uniqueness of people. And we we often talk on the podcast about the adaptability of um, a music therapist because so much is thrown at us. And um, I think I've thought about adaptability in that way a lot. And um, hearing both of you talk about you know, that as a thing that you love about the field of, um, you know, never knowing what's going to come of it and getting to use our adaptability skills just to be there in that moment with the people that um, we're connecting with. I gravitate more towards talking about these warm, fuzzy things about the field um, for myself, because I think, you know, um, I'm so grateful to be in this field and to be working and all of the things that you just shared, all of the little little snippets are things that just brighten my day and make me um, stay connected to the field and stay wanting to do what I'm doing. Um, But I also think it's really important to highlight those moments where we do not feel that um, because, you know, oftentimes when I tell people I'm a music therapist, I get the, you're doing, you're making so many people so happy. Your job must be so fun. And this is so great. And absolutely. And I feel that pride and I get so excited, but I think it's so important for us to recognize that that's not all the time and that there are challenges. There are things in the work that we do that are really hard. There are things in our profession that make the work that we do very challenging. And so I'd really love to hear um, about your experiences there and just to kind of sit with that and acknowledge that. Yeah. So, uh, either one of you can start depending on where your heads go. I know each of you alluded a little bit to having some challenges and I'm sure, um, there have been hurdles that you've had to, to move through in your profession so far or in your experiences so far. So let's talk about it. What are some of those challenges? What are those biggest challenges, um, that you have experienced working as a music therapist, I don't even—I don't know where to start because it's there's so much that we can talk about, and I mean, I, I'm just so grateful that we're having this conversation because I think right there is a challenge. I think because the profession and and the work is so beautiful, um, because we get to do what we love, we don't often, Kim, like you said, we don't often talk. Um, about the challenges. I think it might go even further to maybe we're scared to talk about the challenges. Maybe um, there have been other music therapists who have said, don't talk about the bad things or don't discourage other people from joining this profession. Um, Like, you know, talking about these challenges will like turn a, a bad light on music therapy and I just don't think that's the case. Um, I think that when we are honest and when we share authentically what it's like to be here, um, more people will respect us and more people will join the profession, like maybe for the right reasons or maybe having more of a holistic view of of what it's actually going to be instead of what I've seen more often than not. A lot of us uh, new music therapy, I'm not new anymore, but newer music therapists joining the field and then being hit with this wall of, oh, this is what it is. And not that it's bad, it's just challenges, which every profession goes through it. And I think maybe in the music therapy profession, we just haven't talked about it enough. Um, or um, there aren't enough uh, support set up for us. So, um, 
yeah, so that's like probably the biggest thing that I can say is there's there's something going on within the profession of music therapy itself that makes it so hard for me to feel free to practice as a music therapist. Um, and it's, it's like, I was thinking about this before, um, we got on here tonight, but I'm like, okay, is it a systemic thing? Is it like the profession and how things work? Or is it like a personal thing? Like people with these, uh, personality traits all come into this field and it feels a certain way. Cause it's like when I, talk with another music therapist. I'm like, Oh, like I'm a little scared to share my real thoughts. Um, I'm like, are you going to judge me? Are you going to think I'm not a real music therapist? Are you going to question the work that I do? So there's this, like, um, I think it's, it's both. There's like this insecurity that I feel from myself and other music therapists. And I think it comes from an insecurity within the profession itself. And so it's like, this is not just one challenge I've been through. It's, I feel like I'm going to the top. Like what is the most massive thing that we, that is directly related to what we are all feeling. Um, and so that's what I'm, I'm thinking this, you know, insecurity within the profession. So, um, you know, not, not having the funding for our work, um, or the support financially, um, not having jobs that are, uh, set up in a way that's sustainable. Um, and so the way that that's presented itself to me throughout my career has been, um, uh, contracted music therapy jobs where I was driving like an hour in every direction, um, I had very little support. I had very little, um, even accountability. Um, and I just burned out right away. I had no one around me saying like, it's okay to take your time. You don't have to do full music front to end of session. Um, and so that was one thing that was really hard. And then, um, my next, uh, let's see, really big challenge was, um, where I was in a job and I had conflict with my boss who was another music therapist. And it was this place where, um, I was working for this company and I was also very interested in developing things around town and building up, um, the workforce and whatnot. Um, and, my boss at the time had seen what I was doing outside of my work as conflict, which legally it's not. Um, but there was this distrust kind of like I was thinking about earlier. There was this, this questioning of, of my integrity. And, um, I think it, it comes from all of the other things I was mentioning, this, difficult thing within our field of not being supported or having the funds or having the jobs. And so I had to leave that job because of this great conflict. Um, there wasn't really a good way for me to continue. And then that same scenario played out again in a different way. So I'm like, maybe it's just me. Sometimes I say, I just have a really big mouth and I can't keep quiet about the things I'm passionate about. And then I get myself in a sticky situation. So, um, so after that thing happened for me and I left that job, um, I had such a bad taste in my mouth when it came to music therapy. I just needed a break. So I, um, I left that job and then I started, um, doing calligraphy and then turned that into a business and was doing calligraphy around town. I had a card line, like all this fun stuff. And then I got to a point where I'm like, Oh my gosh, I miss people. Like I need to be with people. I miss the music. I need to be like making music with people. So I came back into music therapy, just taking whatever job I could, which the job that I took was, um, like the lowest pay of any job in the city. Um, it was only like 10 hours a week. So because of that, I had no benefits, um, no, like, actual time off, you know, it was more like hourly. 
So, um, we got to a point in that job where they had offered me full time, which was like, Oh my gosh, this is what I've been waiting for. But then, like I said, I have a big mouth. I was like, well, I, and this really isn't me having a big mouth. This is just me um, standing up for what's right and advocating for what I need as a professional. But I, I asked them, so, um, so I just want to ask about compensation. Um, is it, will I be paid more for this? Um, you know, as far as the salary goes. And they said, well, you wouldn't make any less. <laughs> and I'm like, um, so I won't be making any more. Okay. So that's a problem. And then I'm like, okay, I really want to be in this position and I want to be in this organization. So can I talk with your foundation? Can we put on some fundraisers? Can I support the team in making this a sustainable job for myself, basically? Um, and then they took the offer away. So um, that was another huge um, point of challenge for me in my career where I was faced with um, these challenges that we all have as a profession, the lack of funding, the lack of support, the lack of understanding of what music therapy is. Um, and like I said in, in my intro, I started my business out of necessity because these things like kept happening, happening to me. And I, I knew that there was a way to make this work, um, that, that would be sustainable and that would be fulfilling. Like I've always felt this job could be. So I feel like this is just part B of my introduction of <laughs> how I got into this field and, and where I am now. But um, yeah, those have been some very big challenges. Um, plus my feelings and thoughts about the profession itself. I'm just taking a minute to just soak that in a little bit, Kim, because I think a lot of what you've shared, I'm, I'm sure people listening are having those moments of, oh, yep, I felt that, or, oh, I'm still feeling that, um, and maybe not knowing where to go from there. Um, I really agree with your initial sentiment of, you know, we don't talk about this stuff enough, and um there is that lot of conversation about, oh, music therapy is so great as a field. And uh, your point of, um, you know, not feeling like we're discouraging people. Don't discourage new people from coming in. But it's it's important to know those hurdles, um, to know if it really is for you, to know what direction you want to go. And I feel like there are just so many questions um, that perhaps don't get answered until we're into the actual profession. So, um, yeah, resonating deeply with, um, with your experiences and also knowing that part of my journey is also out of that place of necessity of, Hmm, the work that I'm doing isn't aligning with what I see for myself, what I see for the profession, um, and needing to take that step to make a change, which can be daunting. Like the fact, I loved the way that you worded it of advocating for what you need as a professional. Um, Cause I think that's a scary thing to do. You might end up without a job. You might not feel like you can run your own practice. You might not want to, you might not know what that path is or insert any situation there. Um, so kudos to you for taking that step and for advocating. Um, and thank you for sharing that right now, because I think there are a lot of people out there who, um, who needed to hear that or who continue to need to hear that and remind ourselves, I feel like these conversations, they <laughs> dissipate and need to come back. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for just validating all that too. And, um, th this whole feeling and conversation, and I don't, I don't mean for this to be a plug for my podcast, although I mean, why not? <laughs> but I'm thinking um, that is like the top reason why I started the podcast that I started because I felt like these conversations weren't happening, at least like 
a few years ago when I started it, I feel like now maybe because we're getting younger music therapists, like our generation, we're a little more open and honest about it. We've been through different life experiences. Um, that's why I started the podcast because I'm like, I want to have more of these conversations. And I also want my friends and colleagues to know, um, if you're faced with so many of these challenges, um, that you have to leave and you have to walk away from this work, like that is really okay. And maybe that's the best thing for you. Um, and I feel like, I don't know if, if you all felt this in, in school, but I don't know. It, it, it felt like there was this responsibility placed on me to care for the profession itself or advocate for the profession in this way where it's all on me and I can't actually just take a step back. Um, and none of us should have that responsibility or feel that way, but I, I think we all do. Um, and I think that makes the job even harder um, because we're not just doing a job. We're also advocating for our livelihood and for the amazing work we do, but we, it seems like even though the work proves itself, it seems like we still have to prove ourselves. And then this bigger piece of like making sure the profession itself doesn't crumble and fall. It's like, well, it won't because we're all here doing the work. But I think sometimes there's this feeling like if I don't advocate in every opportunity that I get to advocate, which is like nearly every minute of every day, um, then someone won't know about music therapy and it won't continue. But the reality is, is if you are too tired to advocate, if you don't feel like you will um, eloquently explain music therapy, it's okay to not advocate and not tell people what you do and just say, hey, I'll talk with you another day. Or, hey, my colleague down the hall in that room, you can talk with them. Um, because yeah, we, we take on too much responsibility all the time. And I think that burns us out. And that, um, I think that that can, and has for me, can give you a bad taste in your mouth, just about the profession itself. It's really just burnout in, in little ways in different forms. The discussion of burnout in itself has become too frequent at least in the circles that of music therapists that I've been in contact with, um, where I feel like this conversation is more pertinent to where we are right now. I do feel a sort of weight to put more of this kind of information out so that the profession itself succeeds. Um, because I think without this conversation, we could then you know, face what you're talking about, where we went through school and and have that weight of trying to cradle the profession and really needing to be its best advocate or else. Uh, but I feel like, no, <laughs> in order for us to have this continuity and sustainability in our profession, we need to talk about the difficult things. Um, and that is what is going to continue um, keeping us an active and healthy practitioner at the end of the day because when you're going through it I feel like I can speak for myself and Kim we've both experienced burnout um, in points of our career and it's not a fun place to be in it's also sometimes a really isolating experience I feel like the idea of being a music therapist can just be an isolating experience because of the systemic things that you were talking about the lack of funding, the lack of support, the lack of understanding and awareness. Um, so when you go through something difficult, it can feel very isolating, um, more isolating, which is not something that we want to feel uh, or to endure as professionals. And so shedding light on some of these areas may help somebody to not feel alone in their experience. Um, 
And I, I just feel like that's so important right now. Um, so I thank you for your podcast and the messages that you're putting out there, but also just, you know, coming to spaces like this and being vulnerable to share your story with us. Um, you know, Sarah, <laughs> I, I'm sure that you've experienced some challenges as well. And um, I, I'm looking forward to hearing some of your story as well. It's it's not um, it's not as taboo as it seems. And so, yeah, thank you so much for for just sharing all of that and for giving us a place to jump off in this conversation. Hopefully, it does continue. Thanks, Kim, for your thoughts. I think it's like really brave uh, to say you know, these are, these are some challenges. Um, I totally get that feeling of insecurity within the profession. And I was thinking about, you know, I feel like that insecurity stems from being a musician. It's like embedded, uh, within us. Um, I know for myself, like, um, hearing from, um, like band conductors or whatever, like if it's not perfect, I don't want to hear it. And these like insane, um, perfectionist sort of traits, and I remember like having nightmares about like certain solos that I did years long, like um, years after the fact. And it's like that fear, it keeps us stuck. Um, so I think, yeah, maybe it sort of stems from our, our ideas around uh, music um, and being musicians. This idea, it has to be perfect. Um, I also wonder music therapy, I think in North America stemmed out of World War II. And if we look at that idea, that's like, um, and how people got through that was probably like, pull up your bootstraps, um, don't complain, uh, get through it. Um, and a real, I, I can't even comprehend what it was like, but I can imagine that there was a huge sense of fear. So then how does that affect uh, our profession? I think I'm sure that's been researched, I hope. Uh, but yeah, like how does the, how does the culture of music therapy uh, the foundations of it, how does that affect where we are today? I, I think there's like a scarcity, um, mentality in terms of like, uh, fend for yourselves, uh, don't share contracts, uh, don't work together. I think, I think that's like implied. I don't know if it's like explicit in, in terms of people saying it out loud, but sometimes I feel that and it can feel really like, oh, like, is there room for me? Um, but thankfully I've listened to like good friends along the way being like the right client will come to you. There's room for us. There's room for all of us. And like, let's, let's try to support one another and be a big orchestra instead of just being like, I'm going to do my own thing. Um, and unfortunately, like if people do think I'm going to do my own thing, like then not just, I don't know. Uh, I, I can understand it, but also makes me feel sad, I think, in some ways. Um, yeah, I think you, so you touched on accessibility. Yeah, that's huge. Um, I also wonder about, you know, cancel culture. Um, I think it's, it's um, crucial to have talks around inclusion and um uh, disability and, uh, culture and all of those things. Uh, but it can also be very difficult because sometimes if we say the wrong thing, uh, we can immediately be canceled. And I think that's part of our culture at large. And so that also makes it very difficult. Um, as opposed to like, we will make mistakes. Like I was thinking the other day about uh, what songs have I chosen recently? They're mainly by white men. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, like, am I not doing enough? Um, but at the same time, you know, all of those songs hold incredible value. So um, I think cancel culture um, is maybe like embedded as well. Um, I think there's something also about, you know, how music therapy is defined as like, um, spirituality is a goal area. So I'm really curious around like, how do we define that? Cause I think there's also maybe some, um, skepticism or like, you know, does it actually do that, um, in our increasingly secular world? 
And sometimes I think it can be hard to be like, yeah, I, I felt something spiritual or like I felt um, something bigger than me. And to say those things, I think it can be like, how would, how will people respond to that? And maybe being afraid. Um, yeah. Oh, there's so many things. Um, I talked with, a, I have a, a music therapy student right now and she was talking about uh, feeling like she doesn't have the skills. And I was like, make all the mistakes you want. Now is the time. Like, don't be afraid. Do it. I got your back. Like, whatever happens, I will be there with you. And just trying to really, like, um, support her. Because um, I think I also feel that lack of skills. You know, like, branching into the counseling world. It's like, do I have any counseling skills? Like, you know, and, and asking these like critical questions, which I, I think are, are helpful, but also like, if it stops me from doing the work, then it's probably, you know, uh, yeah, that, um, I'm like shaking while talking about this. I don't know if I'm cold, I'm in a different room, but it's also, I think just maybe it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to sort of articulate. I think there, I think there's something about, um, realizing like the beauty of music but also realizing maybe sometimes the limits of it I guess I Sarah I that last point for me it kind of hit I don't know where but somewhere in here because I don't know how many times I've had a conversation with somebody working in long-term care where I explain that sometimes it's okay just to sit in meaningful conversation or sit in just support and silence with that person during our music therapy time. The idea that music needs to constantly happen in order for something effective to happen within that session is not that limit of what we're able to do as therapists. And yes, we have this incredible tool of music and and all of you know the musical interventions that we're able to to apply uh, to that skill set. But beyond that, we're therapists first. We're people first in human connection with one another. And so bringing that skill set to the forefront of yeah, we have this in our toolkit, but also sometimes we don't need to bring it out in that moment. And that's okay. As you're, as you're sharing that, that reminded me of, I remember this comment, I, I was working in long-term care and there was like a break in the music and one of the staff yelled in, I don't hear music. And I was like, please don't, like, I didn't say it, but I was like, please don't yell that, like, like, no, stop, yeah, sometimes there's a, there's a weight, and, you know, sitting with another person, like, recognizing another one's spirit, you know, like, the, the deepness of, of that, and so, yeah, sometimes we just need to sit, pause. I mean, there are pauses in music. Darn right. I, I was just telling a student, I think it was yesterday, use silence as a tool. Yeah. It is just as much a tool as any musical instrument or intervention that we use. It's funny that you say that, Kim, because I, so before, when I was in school at Laurier, I was a residence life don. And in our training um, each year, we often did um, like these scenarios of, of conversations that might come up with students, um, sometimes like the bigger themes. And oftentimes we're told, yeah, like, don't be afraid of silence because that's when people feel, um, that's when the opportunity to share um, comes up. And so I'm just realizing kind of in this moment, when I came into music therapy, you know, we talked a little bit about silence, but I was so much more hesitant to use silence uh, in music therapy work versus when I was just in conversation with people. And now I, yeah, I, I totally res- or, uh, agree with that. That silence is such an important tool and, and, and works wonders in a session just to have that space um, 
but I'm curious about that hesitation now that we think about it and, and that pressure that, you know, we were talking about previously, but this other side of pressure that is put on us almost by the music or by people's assumptions about music therapy of music needs to happen 24-7, a certain type of music needs to happen, blah, 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 um, where like Haley says, you know, we're therapists first. And so I wonder the impact that people, therapists have felt of that going into sessions that we carry that. I know for myself, I've definitely had moments where I'm in a one-to-one and someone has just come in and we've just been having a very meaningful, quiet moment or conversation, but then the person, like the the nurse leaves or whoever leaves and I'm like, oh no, they're going to think I wasn't doing music therapy. They're going to think I'm slacking. When at the root of it, you know that the work you're doing is meaningful and, and you're showing up and you're there. But yeah, very interesting. The pressures that we put on ourselves, but also that the field and the assumptions kind of put back on us. So it's like almost a daily or weekly occurrence where I'm like, what is someone thinking? Are they going to want to pay me for this? You know, almost feeling it. I guess that just comes from a lack of understanding of what music therapy is and, and people's um, associations with music in general concerts, entertainment, the radio, all those things are kind of, you know, like a program that just goes. And we as music therapists do not provide a program. We don't provide a concert. Um, we provide this this meaningful experience and we don't even know where it's going to go. So yeah, it's really interesting to think about these different things that come into play and how we feel about them and how we respond to them. I've been thinking about this question, like what would I tell someone who's a student right now, a music therapy student or a new professional or myself, what do I wish I knew um, before jumping into this, this profession? And so I'll, I'll start with um, my assumption what I assumed as a graduating music therapy student was I would find a job posting, do an interview, get a job, and then stay in that job for a, a length of time, you know, maybe at least a couple years. Um, and my assumption was that this job would provide um, a sustainable income and benefits and time off and personal time, you know, like all these things that the ideal job would have, and it would just be here. And I would just walk into it and that would be my career. (laughs) Um, but I, I think I wish that, um, someone had told me that it doesn't always look that way. Um, and I think some people mentioned it, but I still had this really strong assumption. So what I wrote down for myself to answer this question, what I wish I knew is that you are responsible for the success of your career, whatever that looks like for you or for me. um, It's really in my hands. And that might mean trying to attain or create or develop that ideal job that I have always thought that I would have. Um, but that also could shift and change and mold into, okay, when I was a student, I thought success in my career looked this way, but now success in my career looks like this. I'm happy. I feel fulfilled. My job feels peaceful. Um, I can get enough sleep. I, I get to eat lunch during the day. I'm well supported. I have variety. Oh, and maybe it means music therapy isn't full-time. So that would be my, my advice. Um, and what I would tell my younger self, um, you're responsible for the success in your career, whatever that success is defined as. I like, what are my assumptions versus the reality of practicing? And I'm sure a lot of us yeah. Thank yeah. You. <laughs> I, I love that. You know, I had the assumption that as soon as I graduated university, I would feel like a professional music therapist and know everything about music therapy. <laughs> no, 
like Sarah mentioned earlier, I'm still feeling like I'm learning and mm-hmm. developing skills. And sometimes I feel like I don't know anything at all. So, you know, that's, and I'm not a new music therapist anymore. So don't have that blanket. It's just something that I assumed I would attain after I finished, you know, school. And it's not my reality. Um, and I also assumed that because I was a really hard worker and a very ambitious person that I would just get the job that I wanted to get. And I was okay to accept rejection until I got the perfect job that I wanted. Um, But like you said, I had to build it. (laughs) I I figured out that along the way that in order to get that, I needed to build it myself. And I'm still working toward that goal. Um, So I love that idea of what were my assumptions versus, you know, what were the realities um, that I faced and what would I tell my younger self? I think underneath maybe some of that is, uh, I would say, just be yourself um, and all of the beauty and complexity that it is um, and allow yourself to be changed by the people that you work with. Obviously having good boundaries, but I, I think there's something really cool about working with people. Sometimes the things we're struggling with are the things that our, our clients are struggling with. And so allow yourself to be vulnerable. And I um, had the privilege um, last week of hearing Dr. DeForia Lane speak in person. And I met her afterward and was just like crying. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I'm just so emotional right now. Um, <clears throat> but she was talking about that very thing, like be vulnerable, be open. Um, um, and in, in, or through the lens of when you're with your clients, be yourself mm-hmm. because so many people are for me, professors had said, um, like, leave yourself at the door. Don't bring yourself into the session. Don't make this about you, which yes, I understand why you are saying that blanket blanket statement, but I think it gets interpreted as this like hard and fast rule. And Deforia was talking about bringing your personality into the session, bringing some of your um, experiences and information into the session so that you can bridge that gap with your client and build rapport with someone. Um, Like it's so important for us to be who we are and not just musical robots, you know, um, we all have unique personalities and that's, that's what makes the music therapy so rich. And that's what makes music therapy with each one of us. So unique is, um, who we are as people. 100%. It's not, um, it's not a cookie cutter profession. We can't just step into this persona of a therapist and, and just go from there because then we're going to miss the beauty of that authentic connection. And really that's where, Mm -hmm that's where the work is happening. It's not in just the, the interventions themselves. It's in those therapeutic relationships, which um, unless we're using those authentic selves, there's going to be that barrier. So, you know, we've talked about, we've talked about our journeys. We've talked about some of the challenges we've talked about what our younger selves, you know, wish you knew before coming into the profession. Um, but as has been mentioned, you know, the journey's not finished. It's an ever evolving profession and journey for each person individually. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering if we can look to the future a little bit here. Um, there's lots to happen within the field. I'm sure there's lots of hopes of what we can translate some of those challenges into. So curious if you can share what what are some of the hopes that you hold for the future of music therapy? I mean, simply like I hope that we see more employee positions within organizations. And maybe this is my younger self wishing for that ideal. that I was always hoping for. But I think, I think um, very often those jobs are a little more sustainable um, because the organization is already built. It's not like you're starting something from scratch. Um, So that's why that is one of, one of my hopes um, for more employee positions or music therapy programs within 
already established organizations. And and with that, I'm I'm hoping for more support. It's kind of like a, a blanket word or blanket term to use, but um it's just I I I don't feel like we have enough support um financially or otherwise. Part of why I've stepped into a lot of the roles that I've I've um stepped into, but I want to see more of a supported um and as I'm saying this, I'm thinking back to um I can't remember which of us said this, but um I think Kim or Haley, it was it was either of you said we are very isolated in our jobs. And I was thinking about like just that, like if you think about any other job, I don't know, maybe I'm thinking too simplistically, but I'm thinking, okay, like a teacher, they are in a building with other teachers. A physical therapy clinic is in a building with other physical therapists, like nurses. There are a million nurses in the hospitals. Music therapy, there's like one, hopefully, in some building somewhere. <laughs> You know, it's like, we are so isolated. So um, I love how we're having these conversations. And even just through this conversation, we are feeling more, like I am feeling more supported just in my work and in my life and career. Um, So I don't know what more support would look like um, if there could possibly be multiple music therapists on site within different organizations and facilities. That would just be the dream. Yes. I I would love to do like group work with another music therapist, like having two music therapists to do a group. Like, can you believe, like, can you imagine what we could do? Um, (laughs) um, That's the limit. I would love to see music therapists supporting music therapists to just like go into every place, have courage and to be yourself, speak your truth. Um, and also like, uh, I feel like maybe this point has been talked about too much, but like a more varied, um, landscape of music therapists to, uh, represent our, our clients because they're probably really diverse. And I'd also love to like, to see, um, music therapists, like working in like, places where there's like huge civil unrest. Um, and I think that is happening like in pockets here and there, but yeah, music therapists as first responders, I think I'd, I'd love to see more of that. Maybe music therapy not being like a last option, but like as high as like CBT, DBT, CPT, all the BTs. Um, I would love to see just music therapy as like, yep. And it not even being questioned. Like, it's just like, yeah. You know, like, (laughs) uh, because we as music therapists know how legitimate it is, but I would just love that, I don't know, strength uh, in naming it, you know? Music therapists, supporting music therapists. Somebody make that a bumper sticker. (laughs) Maybe it's the next sticker from one of us. Yes. (laughs) Yes. That that needs to happen, though. And it's happening right here. You know, yeah. we, we are here supporting each other and um, believing that we are all doing the best work we can and, and having those beautiful moments with, with the people we work with. Well, thank you both for joining this very taboo conversation. <laughs> Hopefully it's not, you know, moving forward and more people will hop on this bandwagon and join um, more conversations like this or create opportunities within their own communities to have conversations like Mm -hmm. this. Um, You know, it doesn't take much. You can just reach out to a therapist in your network and just start having a trusted conversation and maybe then invite somebody else in and another person and another person. And it it will just grow. I promise, because I think that for me has been the most rewarding experience, not only just to network with other music therapists, but to really talk about the ups and downs, the ins and outs of this wonderful, turbulent, (laughs) dynamic profession 
that we're in. And so thank you both for sharing a bit of your story and your journey with us. If there are people listening that want to connect with you, how might they get in touch? For me, Kim, <laughs> if you if you don't know who's talking, um, you can find me most often on Instagram. My handle is at Kimberly Jane Best. Um, and you are welcome to listen to my podcast too, if you want. Although this podcast that you're listening to is excellent. <laughs> um, so that podcast is not your average music therapist. Um, and on Instagram, it's um, at music therapist pod. So I'd love to see you in any of those places. I'm Sarah. Uh, you can find me on um, bell counseling with two L's services.com. Uh, I have an Instagram account. I think it's bell underscore counseling underscore services. I don't know if people use Facebook anymore, but like Instagram is linked up to Facebook. So it goes, it goes on that. I also just want to say thank you. I feel really honored to have, have this conversation in this space. Uh, y'all are awesome. Really nice to meet you, Kim. Yeah. So nice to meet you too. This has been so fun chatting. I'm like, I just want to keep talking, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know we have to go. I, yeah, I feel that too. I'm very much sending that thanks back to both of you. This has been a fantastic conversation. And I, I echo that. Like, I feel like I could keep talking for just hours on end here. <laughs> um, so hopefully this is, you know, we can come back to this conversation as us. We can continue the carry that to carry on the conversation within our networks. And hopefully this is a budding, um, you know, the bud that propels the conversations to keep happening and um, to have music therapists supporting music therapists. Thank you for listening to the Able Voice podcast. If you want to hear more episodes like this, subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media at Synergy Music Therapy. You can also find links to our most recent and top rated episodes on our website at www.synergymusictherapy.com. 